0: To talk about leadership today and just talk about, you know, how things have changed. Wayne, how are you doing down there in Stuttgart, Germany?
1: Fantastic. I was in the Black Forest last weekend and uh, made sure I was over here this weekend. I'm looking out uh, from my third floor of this house that was built uh, in 16 uh, 1507, 10 years before oh. Martin Luther nailed his thesis to the uh, uh, church doors and 100 years before uh, Jamestown was founded. And there's snow covering all the rooftops here
0: oh, so look this,
1: out into the Black Forest. So is it snowing now in Germany? It's just barely snowing right now. But we had snow all week uh, uh, starting at the, uh, well, Sunday or Monday when I was driving back from the Black Forest. I uh, got caught in the snow and it snowed every day uh, here, <laughs> except yesterday.
0: Hey, you know what, but that's Europe, you know, it's like that vibrant thing of being able to go to the cafe, have some wine, or have you your good old cafe cappuccino and just relax, you know what I mean? I know what you mean. <laughs> hey, so Wayne, give, give the, us a background to the audience, kind of like, what's your background? And then give you have a huge history. So kind of give and you and I'll let you explain your your last job after the military, because it's, it's better for you to explain
1: it. Uh, okay. But you know,
0: so let's hear your journey real quick. Uh,
1: OK, when when Vince says I had a huge history, I, I guess he just means I'm uh, old as dirt. That's <laughs> but uh, actually, I, I came in the military at a time when uh, uh, Vietnam was winding down. But a lot of my senior leaders and even junior leaders, they were uh, I had World War II vets. Uh, in leadership positions, Korean War vets, and almost everyone was a Vietnam vet. So I I got some incredibly good training on the tactical nature. And with the generals, I really learned a lot from looking at them about how senior leaders can make such a big difference in an organization. And uh, primarily, you're talking, uh, I, I would be talking about General Croson, who ended up Uh, commanding all the forces in Europe and the vice chief of staff of the army. He was the guy that the Bader-Meinhof gang tried to assassinate up in Heidelberg. And he worked. Pardon? It was in the 80s,
0: correct? Right,
1: right. In the 80s. And he was uh, the the first general that I actually observed. And I had a great opportunity uh, in the fact that his son-in-law was one of my company commanders And we're still friends. And so I ended up having dinner with uh, him uh, just a couple of years ago before he died. And he fought in the Colmar pocket, which is just across the Rhine River here, about five kilometers south of uh, Audie Murphy, 10 kilometers south of Tony Bennett, when Tony Bennett was private, uh, Antonio Benedetto. Uh, So it was, uh, I, I really had some great opportunities to learn and also from a a General Tackaberry and a General uh, Malloy. And General Malloy was probably the best with transformational management that I've seen. But I I worked with a lot of great NCOs, great officers, uh, great senior leaders, and just picked up a little bit of, uh, I guess you'd say the combination to the safe on how to run large organizations by learning from this colonel, and this colonel, and this general, and this sergeant, uh, this warrant officer. I uh, had one warrant officer who was just an incredible, uh, incredible leader. Uh, but I, I learned a lot from my cadets also, as you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, so you know, as you talk about your, your transition, so you did, how many years in the military?
1: I did 20 i I was uh, uh, six years as a enlisted went as a staff sergeant to officer candidate school then Ranger school then went right back to the 82nd Airborne Division spent another couple of years there and moved down the road to special Forces um, I, I went off to Hawaii in an infantry assignment uh, uh, did a couple did three years there and then I came to ROTC at Georgia Southern uh, College at the time, Georgia Southern University, sure. uh, when Irk Russell was uh, running things there and uh, did, did my uh, time there. And then I, I got an assignment to Germany and got in the position of an operations officer with the 1st Battalion Special Forces, uh, 10th Special Forces Group. Two weeks before Saddam Hussein invaded uh, uh, Kuwait, And we were locked down and then deployed. Uh, We spent time doing the combat search and rescue of all the aircraft that were uh, uh, expected to be shot down in northern Iraq. And so we did the combat search and rescue force uh, in the north. And then we came back to Germany for one week and then got sent right back in to run the Kurdish refugee camps. We had about 200,000 Kurds we were responsible for in four different camps. When we got there, they were dying at about a hundred a day. Wow. And uh, we stemmed the flow. It, it was, uh, we did, we, we delivered babies, gave shots. uh was know, it was starvation? Yeah, Pardon? I, see,
0: I, mean, I didn't mean to cut you off. Was it starvation? What, was a lot it, of it, it was dysentery. It was, dysentery.
1: It, it was dysentery because they were, they were not, uh, people who normally lived outside, they were pharmacists, they were city dwellers, and they had moved into this uh, area, and the uh, they got to the border, weren't allowed to cross the border, so they set up a tent city, and unfortunately, they were collecting their water from areas that was also the drainage of the sewage, and so they were dying of dysentery and uh, all sorts of uh, things. So we we brought in a lot of fresh water initially and food, and started treating them. And uh, so it was it was an incredible uh, experience. I, I was the uh, the operations officer, then the XO during this time, and the. Uh, The teams, the teams that were led by captains and sergeants and warrant officers, you know, the NCOs, they were the ones who actually made the big difference. They were the ones delivering the food, delivering the supplies. The medics were treating the uh, young children. We had babies who couldn't blink because they were so dehydrated from not having water. Uh, You would pinch their skin and it would stay up. Uh, women had quit lactating for, because of lack of water. So there was a lot of, uh, lot of work. Uh, that was probably the most fulfilling thing that we did during my Cold War experience of being in the military. And then right after that, I got uh, sent to Command and General Staff School at Fort Leavenworth. I retired at Leavenworth but 12 years later, I got called back to write the Army's field manual for personnel recovery, which was uh, how the term combat search and rescue had kind of uh, morphed into what's called personnel recovery or rescue operations. And I've been doing that ever uh, since 2004 until 2019. I was asked to uh, move over to a different uh directorate in UCOM headquarters and help with the senior leader education, the uh, general officers, the flag officers, the senior executive service personnel. So that's basically what I've been doing, uh, uh, helping teach uh, and educate uh, senior leaders and new officers who are coming into the organization.
0: All right. So if you watch this evolution of leadership and you watch and so you've you wrote you've written doctrine. So when you're writing doctrine, you've watched it evolve because I, I go back to Air Land Battle and then I, I go. So I'm dating. I'm dating myself. And then I go back to the, uh, the common task manuals that we had back in the day and Big Birth and all the other different books. So right. if you see this evolution, the, the thing is, we are over with information now. So how are you handling this situation now is that back in the day we had like a manual and it was kind of, you could kind of cookie cutter the manual to get where you have to be. Now we have information coming at hundred miles an hour.
1: Yes. And and one of the things we do in the exercise program, and I I work under the exercise directorate is to, uh, when we do injects into exercises, we give a number of injects that, don't really matter. And then there's one little nugget in there. So uh, part of the training is to sift through all the information and sort and find those things that are really important for the the senior leaders to to know about. But I guess the biggest change I've seen, uh, there there was a a program called the Command Information Program and the commanders were expected to get up in front of their uh, soldiers, their Marine sailors, and say, this is an important subject, you know, it could be operational security or sexual harassment, whatever it is, the commander was expected to be the voice of that program. And so that everyone knew the commander endorses this. Uh, nowadays, we, and and this is probably uh, uh, <coughs> one of my pet peeves, uh, We we have like an online leadership. It's, you know, the the information for many organizations is only through the joint knowledge online system. And the only metric that the senior leaders are may I'd say the mid-range leaders are looking at is has everybody done their training?
0: Right. They're yeah.
1: Not, yeah, they're not reinforcing the actual content. They're they just want to make sure everybody's gotten their training done. And a lot of that is because you're you're so inundated with, um, I mean, we were busy, but the the busy now is just, uh, you know, times 10. Uh, so especially over here, you know, we've been supporting, uh, uh, you know, our our partner nations in war. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. so, uh, we're, we're staying pretty busy here.
0: You know, but, you know, you bring up a great point, And even with corporate America, that's some of the things that I'm seeing is that, you know, we've gotten online training because somebody thought that was a great idea coming in 2002, 2003. Right. And then COVID kind of reinforced it. But when you start looking at it, I, 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 I'm going to go backwards to when you were training me and and the on-hands part and the, the activity of re, of uh, repeating repetition habits and rituals. Oh, right. I, As a commander, when I was in, I saw that was a lost thing. I saw the fact that when we actually said, hey, we got to read a map, but there are certain skill sets. I still believe that not just for the infantry, that overall, as a a common everyday service member, there are I think there are certain traits and abilities you should and you should inherently have for the position because you're in the business of being dropped somewhere in a foreign country to be able to exercise the uh, national defense, the, the, the needs of the national strategy. And I see some challenges in that. And so, when you look at these young these young officers now, and you know, you see some of the you see the the <laughs> the glaze on their face because they're like trying to figure it out. And it's like we 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 shortcutted some things went online, and I think some things we ought to need to back up. So, as you've seen this now, how are you helping in the area of where you work with leadership and kind of you know mentoring those younger uh, NCOs and officers?
1: Well, that's a good question, and I, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to to talk about it. Um, and, and one of my uh, just because we run these <clears throat> uh, exercises that have a long uh, lead in, we have several conferences before a for the actual exercise. The exercise is only two weeks, but it's a, a you know a year to eighteen months to twenty four months of preparing for this. Uh, getting the syndicates together and, you know, trying to help them understand this is how you manage complex, long range, uh, multiple uh, projects, which each one of the exercise of project it's, it's very difficult because most of these uh, officers and senior NCOs, they were raised after nine 11 in back to back, you know, combat assignments, and your focus was, you know, uh, the fight, and not learning basic skills that were contracted out during, during the fight, you know, the, the maintenance, how to develop a maintenance program, how to develop a mentor program for your uh, troops, how to run a professional development program, because there, uh, so, uh, so much as online training, so much as, well, they'll get that in their professional military education or their joint military education, right. but the the program that we had in Hawaii, you ended up with about um, uh, six weeks of additional education and training. Some of it was technical in your field, some of it was non-technical, but, and you could do this in the, in the corporate world too. You bring in the uh, person who's going to teach you how to read financial statements, although you're in sales uh, or production management. Here's how the production line works. And this is why we have to have certain lead times. You could, you could develop a, a, a great professional development program. And over the course of a year, your, your people, would be getting six and a half weeks worth of additional training on how to run the uh, machinery, uh, how to read financial statements, how to get better in sales, whatever their uh, particular job is, and that's what we did. We had uh, two week or uh, two hours every two weeks uh, that was uh, our professional development. Some of that was technical, some of it non technical. We had. Uh, one hour with our boss. Each person had one hour with the boss every week on here's how you need to increase your skill set in managing and planning training, Uh, plus any of the big projects. He would always start with the after action report starts now. So you were expected to be looking for improvements all through, just like Lean Six Sigma, always looking for incremental improvements. So uh, I was lucky uh, in that I worked for uh, several of these key people because other organizations I went to, I didn't see that happening until I brought it from my, you know, part of my baggage Uh, and they had not seen it before. And uh, it's even today, I mean, even at CENTCOM, when we were working together at CENTCOM and and, uh, here at UCOM, there are a lot of things that you don't see anymore that could really uh, improve things. Martin, you Not know, that people aren't working hard and doing yeah. great things. I mean, no, no, no. you're
0: right. You know, yeah. you're right. You know, we all grind. Mike, me and Mike talk about this all the time. And it comes down to knowing what your boss wants. Right, Mike? Yeah. yeah. So, and the thing is, I think communication in, in today's age is that we're over with email and that I don't see a lot of face-to-face communication. And I, as a leader myself, I had to stop myself multiple times, multiple times, to be able to communicate with my staff effectively and say, okay, stop me. Let's talk about this. So, I mean, for your standpoint, you're talking about exercises or you're talking about implementing um, a lot of different mechanisms at one time to, you know, shape the battlefield. So how are you guys, how are you managing it as yourself? As you've looked at with this 30 or 40 year period, Man. how are you starting to go? All right. So your leadership style has had to change. So how have you adapted and, and, and became more innovative?
1: Yeah, well, and, and I want to quickly go back to the COVID time. Uh, you know, we were locked down. So we had every uh, conference that you run nowadays and every meeting, like a senior leader seminar, every meeting that you have, uh, plus the, the schedule that people are having to, to uh, execute nowadays, you always had to have a backup. Okay, these people are going to be in the room these people are going to participate by some sort of video teleconference. And you had to do that. And you have to bring in your uh, NATO partners and your other partners who aren't part of NATO to. So you've got a, a the, the communications link ups are uh, significant nowadays. You know, instead of just everybody come down to the office, we're going to our conference room, we're going to have a meeting. You can't do that because people are scattered all over the the country, and you know are back in the states, are uh, there they're, they're downrange, and you've you've got to link all these people together. So you you've got that going, but a lot of things that we do, we will uh, look at uh, what we're doing, what kind of plans we have, and we will uh, develop some themes and topics for the senior leaders to discuss, and and. You know, we'll put injects in so that the senior leaders have to make decisions, but the decision's really not so important as the process of getting the information from the action officers down at the the bottom level of the swim lanes up to the decision and guidance level of the general officers and the flag officers. So, what we are what we work toward is to uh, make sure that they provide a more robust and well thought out analysis and recommendation so that when it gets to the senior leaders, uh, it gets there faster. So they're doing a, we, we want them to do a better job of doing the analysis and developing their recommendations and getting it up to the senior leaders quickly. And that's really, you know, we want to cut the times down as much as possible. And and, and it's just like playing a musical instrument, you know, learning the scales initially or uh, a soccer drill or basketball drill. You you, you talk through it. You walk through it. You kind of half speed through it, full speed through it. You put some uh, competition on the court, on the field and uh, see if your plan works as well as you thought it would. And you, you just keep doing the drills, keep doing the drills, just like immediate action drills, uh, when you're caught in an ambush or, uh, the, the, you know, or playing a musical instrument. You know, you, you gotta put get your fingers on the keys and uh, uh, do it faster and faster until you're, you have a comfort level.
0: And uh, <laughs>
1: that's what we try to do is get, get them faster and better.
0: All right. So have you always been with DOD or did you ever, when you left the military kind of branch out and go civilian a little bit and then go well, back? To, right? I, I was, I
1: was, I was working with New York life insurance company uh, from 94 from 94 up until I got called back uh, to uh, uh, I, I got a call one day when I was living in Charleston, South Carolina, it was uh, an office in the Pentagon saying, uh, is this, is this Wayne Heard? Yes. Uh, we need you up here tonight. And I was like, <laughs> I've been out for 12 years. And they said, Yeah, yeah, we want you up here. And I was like, You, you might have the wrong guy. I've I've been out a long time. And they said, <laughs> No, you're the guy, get up here. And I was like, Well, can it be tomorrow? Because I, I gotta close down some things. And the guy on the other end of the line just he sounded mad. He goes, Yeah, make it early. And he hung up on me. And I had a name and a phone number to call, so I I uh, went up. But I also worked, uh, after I came back to Department of Defense, I got farmed out to the Drug Enforcement Administration for a couple of years, too, what? Uh, teaching, teaching survival, evasion, resistance, and escape to the agents who were going downrange uh, okay. in, the, in the, uh, Asia, South America, Iraq, Afghanistan. So that was, that was a big thrill. That was, uh, they were, it was a wonderful organization to work with. So yeah, I did a couple of years there in uh, uh, DEA also.
0: So you've been so you've been doing. God, <laughs> way you've been moving. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you've worked on a lot of complex things. And so as you, if you, if you know, as you sit back now, right, and you and you have to reflect on all you've done so far. What advice or what kind of um, knowledge would you kind of give anybody out there that's sitting around? You know, you know, struggling with you know their. There are a place in the world and you going through the life the way you are. Because one, where are you originally from? Let me get there real quick.
1: Right outside Atlanta, Georgia, actually. If you uh, land on the, uh, in the uh, airport, Atlanta airport, uh, you're probably landing on my neighborhood. It was uh, when the airport expanded, they bought our neighborhood, bulldozed it and uh, built a runway on top of it. So I'm right there from College Park, Riverdale area uh, in the Atlanta area. Uh, that's where I'm from originally. Oh, so you're
0: living your best life because Georgia just won the national championship. <laughs> you're, at, you're, you're at Georgia Southern when we're winning all the national that's championships. That's right, that's right. you, that's you right. lived Absolutely. your best life.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So, Absolutely. And so I'll reframe the question. So as you go, as you look at this now and everything you've done and all the people that you've trained over the years, what imprint do you want to leave uh, on this earth when you issue when you when you know when they when uh, saint peter calls but until then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what what imprint did you want to leave
1: well you know uh, there's a, a great mentor he mentored uh george patton and uh eisenhower a guy named fox connor uh, i i would kind of like to be known like a, like a junior level fox connor with my uh cadets and other uh, uh officers and ncos that i've mentored but you know i'd really like to pass on the uh, the management lessons of uh, like Robert L. Jackson, uh, Croson, the uh, floor and Katz, who were the two colonels. Uh, I watched. Uh, I worked on the project where we shut down an army base in Germany, closed it, and moved them, lock, stock, and barrel to another uh, base in Germany. Was so that that, that was a huge? A huge uh, project management program. But the the two really uh, key leaders from that was a guy named Floor, and uh, Colonel Floor, Stan Floor, and Daryl Katz. Both of them are just exceptional. And a lot of the information that I pass on to people, that's where I learned it. Jackson, Floor, Katz. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think I told you that my book had been recently uh, approved by the Pentagon for publication. Oh, so I
0: didn't want to. I didn't want to bring it up. So since you brought it up, name yeah. title. Let's we can talk about it because I knew you
1: had to go through and get it approved. Yeah, I, I've gotten it approved, and and the working title, which may not be the one that comes out uh, if I can never find a publisher for it, is planning. Like your life depends on it, and it's a kind of a, an executive way of uh, a Green Beret approach to uh, mission analysis planning. And it's not just about military, but it's corporate level. You know, doing uh, SWAT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, organ, uh, you know, uh, uh, the threats. You know, oh, opportunities yeah. and threats. Uh, dot mil PF assessment, like we do in the military. Uh, those kind of things to to. Uh, learn how to really take a hard look at whatever problem you're facing, and then develop a plan and how to execute that plan. Bossity, who was uh, one of the uh, General Electric uh, executives, uh, I think he took over Emerson as the CEO. He said, you know, all the planning and everything is good, but the most important thing is execution and yes. to, to teach people how to execute well, because that's uh, that's really what we have to do. Plan plans are really good and you have to do those. But it's the execution. And uh, so I'm I'm hoping that uh, uh, that people will be able to take this knowledge and, you know, read and I tell people read a lot of books, read a lot of books, ask for help, because there's a lot of uh, even at junior levels, there's a lot of experience out there in your shop that, you know, you got to tap into. You, you won't, you won't know hundred percent. You may know hundred percent when you're the squad leader or platoon leader, but or not even the platoon leader, but uh, you may be the smartest guy. But when you go into an SF team, you're going to be the uh, least skilled person on the team. Yeah, if you're the officer. That's uh, true.
0: <laughs> yeah, so on I, I, point, I, I'm tracking you on reading because I had to knock all these out that I received from guests. This was yeah. the other day I was going through it. You're absolutely right. You got to yeah. keep reading. Hey, Wayne, it has been great. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, well, we've
1: got one other thing. We have a, a sergeant major here, the new senior enlisted uh, for UCOM. He started a reading program for the senior NCOs. Uh, Legacy was one of them about the uh, rugby team out of New Zealand, right. uh, six lessons, uh, leadership lessons from D-Day. And so he's got a program. So it's a quarterly book club and then the senior leaders. And he's invited me uh, to participate in that. Uh, we meet in his office for a couple of hours, just talking about the, it, the issues, what we learn from the book and then a lot of issues, how we can apply those to the issues that uh, we face every day. Like, yeah. you read
0: the, is it the New Zealand uh, or Australian uh, rugby team? The it, All it's Blacks. the New
1: Zealand rugby team. The ones. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. The book. Yes. Yes. That, yeah, book the is,
0: that book is excellent. And yeah. I read it because it has a lot of nuggets in there about leadership. Yeah. So, hey, we're know we running out of time here, and we appreciate you coming on all the way from Stuttgart, you know, and taking a break from that beautiful area. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to get
1: out there now. <laughs> and
0: yeah. with that being said, me and Mike T always say, sir, keep it
1: <laughs> Hey, thanks so <laughs> much, Vince. I really appreciate you coming on You're out, welcome, today. sir.